Kia Ora from Victoria University of Wellington. Our podcast gives you the chance to catch up with our academics and guest speakers who lead thinking on the big questions facing society. Victoria University of Wellington. Capital thinking, globally minded. Uh, kia ora, everybody. Uh, thank you for coming out tonight. Um, there's Wes. My name is Dr. Cherie Lacey. I am a lecturer in media studies down at Victoria University of Wellington. Um, so I'm here tonight with uh, Toby Manhire uh, to talk about uh, the state of New Zealand media uh, and journalism today and looking ahead uh, to what might be around the corner. Um, so just to quickly introduce Toby Manhire to you. Uh, so Toby is a journalist, uh, a commentator and an editor as well as a graduate of Victoria University of Wellington uh, where he did political science and theatre and film, I believe. Uh, so he started his career uh, back at Victoria uh, in, as the editor for Salient magazine, which you might remember, uh, and then went on to edit the publication City Voice, which some of you may remember. <laughs> I certainly do. Um, uh, he then went on to the UK where he did some work for The Guardian for about 10 years uh, before returning to New Zealand where he worked for the New Zealand Herald, um, for The Listener amongst other publications as well as continuing to contribute to The Guardian. Um, he is, I've heard him referred to as the Nick Cave of New Zealand media. Uh, he is now the editor at the spin-off so please join me in welcoming Toby Manhire. Do I, I don't speak, do I just speak? Or are you going to ask me a I question? Okay. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so I just, I wanted to start um, by sort of asking you to set the scene a little bit about the state of uh, the media industry in New Zealand today uh, by referring to some comments um, that were made by Hal Crawford, I think, last week. Uh, Hal Crawford being News Hub's chief news officer, I believe. So he, he sort of came out quite publicly and diagnosed the New Zealand media industry with a market failure. Uh, it's just not working. He said something needs to change, uh, specifically more regulation by the state. Um, I was just wondering if you, what your thoughts were about the state of the media today. Um, I mean, he's kind of, I think he's almost certainly right insofar as there aren't many media companies that aren't in a constant state of flux and uh, looking to see how long they've got. The thing, one of the things that, one of the terms that Michael Anderson, who's the CEO of MediaWorks, who works with Hal, and who we interviewed, my colleague Duncan Grieve interviewed Anderson, and in that interview he expressed his concerns about the state of the industry. Um, one of the things he talks about is runway, and I mean, I think that's a reasonably well-known business term, but in terms of basically how much time each company has in order to innovate or do what they need to do before they end up um, in the sea. And um, as far as, I mean, as far as, uh, media works are concerned particularly, I mean obviously they have a vested interest in being a 
foreign-owned, private equity-owned media company in New Zealand, and they, what they want is, what they would like to see is for TVNZ to be merged with RNZ and maybe even Māori TV, which creates issues in itself, um, into some sort of mega BBC New Zealand. And that their interest in that is because it would mean, of course, there'd be more advertising inventory available to media works. But across the board, comes as no surprise to many people, I don't think, that um, there has just a, been a, a, a shrinkage of advertising in the old models, whether it's in print uh, particularly, it came first with the arrival of the internet, but across the board, the, 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 the problem is that no one is able to uh, rely on the consistent advertising revenue that they were <coughs> uh, a decade or two ago. Apart, of course, from Facebook and Google, who are fine. Um, yeah, so uh, part of this picture is that it's becoming increasingly difficult to extract value out of the reader, the individual audience member. Um, so could you maybe tell us about some of the strategies that some of the media companies are doing to kind of to survive in this environment. I know, obviously, the Herald have put up a paywall recently. I'd be curious to know how that's going. Um, uh, but yeah, could you talk a little bit about some of these survival strategies? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone is sort of trying everything. It's this kind of weird paradox that you have uh, an industry, it's broadly accepted as in crisis, um, but you also have one of the most innovative and um, kind of interesting media landscapes that, that I can remember. Um, so there's one of the functions of being desperate, possibly. <laughs> but um, everyone, is a lot, everyone is trying a lot of things, if you, whether it's NZME and The Herald are, are trying their paywall, which is, which is great, I think. Um, the Herald has its critics, and I'm, I'm one of them sometimes, but it also produces an enormous amount of good work. And the nature of the paywall model is that it incentivizes that good work. Um, so I really hope that can be made to work. Um, for stuff, it's different. They too are doing a whole lot of good work, um, and some that you know we might think is a bit more disposable. But at the core of that um, is, as far as print is concerned, that the the business model we, that we used to rely on, which was when we had those big fat um, those big fat newspapers, especially on a Wednesday and a Saturday, that. Um, a lot of people in this room will remember, especially if the number on your terrifying name tag is lower than 2,000. Um, you'll remember those. You remember the big, fat Saturday and Wednesday newspapers especially. And it was this beautiful virtual circle where all of that advertising would then uh, allow those companies to invest in journalism. Um, uh, that fell away, the story that everyone knows, which is someone realised that the internet wasn't a fad after all, and they took both readers, but more painfully took the advertising, because the truth is, running an ad for your car, you remember, ads for cars, you know, I'm selling my Ford Laser in the Evening Post on Saturday. I mean, that, that, was, that was just pages and pages there, garage sales, all that, it just doesn't make sense anymore, obviously you're not going to do that. Um, so everyone has had to scrap around to find a way to replace that. We had this idea, I mean I remember when I was at The Guardian, Alan Rusbridger, who's a visionary editor, presented to us this chart in about the year 2000, 2001 of where digital revenue was going 
uh, and where print revenue was going. And this, there was a golden point in the future, I think it was probably about 2008, where they would meet and the digital revenue would keep climbing and that was when we'd be fine again and that's why we were investing in digital. And he was right to invest in digital as it turns out. But he was wrong and we were all wrong and no one foresaw that uh, Facebook and Google would come along and be much more effective uh, machines for advertising. And so that advertising in terms of the basic display model, um, which is not to bore you with the nerdy stuff, but it's called CPM, which is click per meal, which means, um, means that basically you charge a price per thousand impressions on a page. And that market, the bottom fell out of it. And so basically, the problem then is that you have, if you're producing news or producing journalism in any form, you are chasing very cheap clicks. So you are chasing, uh, because you want to get a thousand clicks to get you whatever it is, fuck all basically, in order to try and generate the income that replaces what you used to have. You, <coughs> excuse me, you, you of course, when you're sitting there, the difference between spending two months on a thorough, rigorous, investigative feature versus almost literally two minutes on Max Key's tweet, you know, that is, that is, that is the calculus. It just doesn't make sense. It just, there is no market argument in terms of the raw commercial value of it to spend that money on the feature. So that, that is part of that market failure in, in the broader sense, in one version or another, that's what everyone is, is, is dealing with. Um, so... I believe, like, according to a recent AUT report, um, Spinoff was one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing online uh, media brand in New Zealand, uh, with 800,000 CPM. Uh, that's, I think, visitors, I visitors rather than, yeah. Uh, unique monthly visitors? That sounds or good, yeah, maybe a million unique. Oh, really? Know. Okay, so, no, this is, this is from last, end of last year, heaps. so it might have gone up heaps and heaps. Um, so, but how important are those online measurement metrics for you? And do they, like, what kind of role do they play in your decision making around uh, putting up content? What kind of content you, you choose to uh, put up? So the, I mean, part of the kind of founding, one of the founding principles of the spin-off, um, which was founded by my colleague Duncan Grieve, was that we couldn't, there was no point in getting involved in that game of just chasing clicks. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so we don't take advertising in the traditional sense. We, 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 we instead uh, use broadly what you might call sponsorship. So, you know, Kiwi Bank sponsor our business section, Flick Electric sponsor our politics section. They don't have editorial control over any of the content. But it's a bit like Campbell Live used to be presented by Mazda or whoever it is that sponsors Seven Sharp. Not sure Rabo Bank used to. Anyway, you know, it's that idea. <coughs> or Sky sponsor the Westpac Stadium, what used to be the Westpac Stadium as of today. Um, and and that means that we're not in that race to the bottom. So we had to immediately cut off. That doesn't mean we're not interested in readers. We want to get as many readers as we can, but we're not in this kind of daily foot race to just try and get X number. And if various, I mean, newsrooms around the world now, most of them have in some form or another uh, the metrics up on monitors, whether it's uh, individuals or very often in the, on the newsroom walls, and those, those will tell you how your pieces are performing, and it kind of adds this extra 
what I mean, dopamine hit and kind of sugar rush about doing the cheap and easy stuff. I mean, Huffington Post, which was created um, in part by uh, Jacques Peretti, who went on to um, BuzzFeed, used to create, I think, as many as six different headlines for a piece, which very likely was just a write-off of something that the New York Times had spent six months on. And then they would test all the headlines and how they play, and then they would choose the one that went the best, and then they would chase it. And that was, the, that was where all the energies were going in journalism. Um, so, but what, what we are more interested in it is not in the raw number of how many people are live on site or how many people are clicking on a particular piece, but in things like the duration on a particular piece and, I mean, other things like now we've created a, a, a members system is, for example, if, 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 if we have a piece on the site that people click through and decide they want to support the spin-off, obviously that metric is a hell of a lot more interesting to me as an editor than someone clicking on some kind of high sugar uh, piece about um, the latest social media fad. Yeah, so uh, just as a follow-up to that, I know uh, Duncan Greve uh, wrote something about this last year where he said um, that the spin-off instead... Um, what tries to really encourage uh, loyalty and brand is two things that are really important to the spin-off under your business model uh, because you need readers to keep you know, returning, keep sort of uh, coming back to your site again and again. So what are some of the things that the spin-off do to try and sort of foster uh, that relationship with readers? Um, I mean, uh, across the board we try and ensure that, I mean we're not, well, I don't want to get, give you the sense that we're super wholesome or trying to be the, or the worthiest kids on the block we very much try and um, we you know we cover reality TV a lot that was kind of one of the found first things that the spin-off did and um, we also cover politics and we like to think that we to some degree treat them both with with respect you know or, or sometimes I like to think we treat the reality TV seriously and treat the politics with the more frivolously but you know I mean I mean to say we have a kind of hopefully a smorgasbord so there's a range of everything from the longer form investigative pieces um, through to you know hot takes which we do probably less of than we used to we still do those people always like a bit of that and you know we do and, and humor we try and use a lot of humor so it's kind of and what we found what was really gratifying when we did launch the members scheme that we run now is how many people feel as though we kind of express uh, a range of voices that they weren't seeing seeing elsewhere. Um, so we uh, hopefully, um, when it's working, fill some of those gaps. Um, yeah, I just I want to sort of return to the question of uh, Facebook uh, and Google and that kind of. Um, platform uh, dominance and the role that that plays in, in uh, news media and in the current sort of political economy of the news media. Um, and uh, I know that um, recent research has shown that, that New Zealand media, I think global media, have become uh, dangerously dependent on um, Facebook traffic. Um, and Duncan Grieve has called this sort of an opaque uh, dictatorship um, of Facebook um, in uh, determining what, what sort of gets seen, the kind of eyeballs on the page. So 
how much of the content of the spin-off is shared through Facebook? Um, and sort of how reliant are you on, on platforms like Facebook? I mean, Facebook is our main referrer of traffic. It's getting closer. Um, that search is closer to us. Um, and around the world, broadly, it's roughly the same between social and search. And in social, in most parts of the world, that means Facebook and search mostly means mostly means Google. Um, we we st I think we're still. I mean, it was fifty percent of every every. Um, uh, impression on our site was coming through Facebook. That's lower as a proportion now, partly because Facebook is um, less of a kind of open valve than it used to be, but also because we've increased other sources. Like we now, when you're smaller, people just don't come by and check your homepage because if you're not going to, if it doesn't change every three or four hours, then why would you bother? Um, but also, we launched a number of products, including the Bulletin, which some of you will be familiar with, which is, uh, I think, a really excellent morning email that summarises the, the um, just, to, just, to, just to hawk it for a second, which summarises all the best news coverage of that day. Um, and a range of other newsletters, and that's happening in other media companies around the world, which is um, quite expressly as an attempt to avoid having to have uh, social and search as your conduits all the time to have a more direct relationship with your audience. But definitely we have we have a kind of, I guess, uh, Facebook and Google are frenemies as far as we're concerned, you know, and so we're, we're quite, journalistically, we're quite hard on them, I think, as much as, as anyone is certainly proportionate to our overall coverage. We've sort of broken a number of stories to do with Facebook and Google and their their role in New Zealand, um, but they're also we're also now working with both of them more than we used to, um, which I would like to think wouldn't compromise. I'm determined would won't compromise our, uh, uh, the extent to which we interrogate them. Um, but they are both as companies starting to acknowledge, I think, uh, more that they the impact they have had on the whole news media ecosystem and the role. I mean, we had. Uh, five people from Facebook come in to see us this morning to talk about various initiatives they're doing. I mean, that's kind of two years ago. That was unimaginable. You could not raise anyone from Facebook on the telephone. You know, so it's it's good in a way. I mean, you don't. We don't want to. We don't want to um, get suffocated. But yeah, that relationship is changing all the time. Yeah, because I was going to ask about the um, the way Facebook seemed to tweak its algorithm last year mm. to sort of deprioritize news content. Uh, and prioritise, you know, uh, what do they call it, friends and family mm. connections. So that, did that sort of hit you guys? It absolutely did. I mean, the only the only thing about it that was sort of reassuring was that you talked to other people on um, on the other parts of the online media in New Zealand, and it happened to everyone pretty much the same amount. So, to some degree, you're kind of well this. This is at least not, <laughs> at least it's not us, <laughs> at least it's everyone. But it was a very noticeable shift in it. And it was a very stark reminder, not just to us, but t not just to a pretty little website in New Zealand, but around the world, just the kind of immense power wielded by that company that they can just, you know, it's like someone walks in and accidentally bumps against the, the, the levers and, it, and suddenly all of the all of these companies collapse you know i mean i mean that's that sounds melodramatic but the impact of these things is huge when there are 
when there were the the impact of Facebook in terms of its video when they there was this whole thing which some of you heard it was a pivot to video which was driven in large part <coughs> because of data that Facebook had produced about the number of views and how everyone is obsessed with video now and everyone got very excited because that's a way to monetize your media and a whole lot of American <coughs> uh, media companies laid off vast numbers of print journalists and hired vast numbers of video journalists and then it turned out Facebook went, oh, we might not have quite got that right. Like, we, we might have miscalculated that. The advertisers, I think it's ongoing at the moment. There's a big lawsuit in America, one of many that involve uh, Facebook and Google, in which the advertisers are suing Facebook because the metrics they provided on views of those ads didn't calculate them as they had purported to. Um, so it's, it, I mean, these things have... have these the, 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 these small things, as far as they as far as they're concerned, for these companies have massive impacts on media companies. And while that might sound a bit special pleading, and, I, and and it is to some degree, there are obviously other areas that we all know about in which that has more impact than just the the employment of of, of some journalist or other. They actually, though, all of those functions, as again we're seeing, and particularly in Europe and Britain and <coughs> the US now have a profound effect on elections and democracy and the free press and all that. So it's, 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 it's non-trivial. Um, so what about looking ahead to, to what's next for the New Zealand media industry? We're obviously, well, it seems like we're in this kind of, I don't know, this flashpoint, this crisis moment, whatever you want to call it. If you had to look ahead uh, and, and make some predictions, what would you say? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Um, it sort of feels like it's a continuous flashpoint, really. Like the, For the last, certainly the last... God, what year is it now? The, la the, last, the last... I mean, the last 20 years, really, it's been a, a constant, um, maybe 15, certainly, in terms of the lack of any you're always going we'll just get over this n next bump and then it will smooth out and everything will be stable for a while and it just never happens because something else comes along or some other pressure arrives as far as new zealand is concerned the euphemism that is used is is consolidation which is you know you could look at it the other way around that means um probably the shuttering of of one or other firm you've got Stuff is owned by now owned now by Channel Nine in Australia, who have been trying to sell it, and turns out no one really wants to buy it. Certainly not for any serious amount of money, and so there's been a bit of lobbying, according to reports, in the last week, in which um, uh, NZME, owner of the Herald and Channel Nine, are trying to uh, put some pressure on the New Zealand government to find a way for the two companies to merge, because as you recall. There was a, a, a attempt by NZME and stuff to merge was rejected by the Commerce Commission and then on appeal in the courts. Uh, Media Works, I mean, there's genuine genuine possibility, and they'll say tell you frankly, people there that 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 it just may not exist in the same form it does. You know, there's no there's nothing. It's one of those things that quite often um, I think it's easy to feel and I feel this too a lot of the time you go that news is shit of course it's, this is rubbish why are we being fed this rubbish and the truth is that there's no it's not there by right like sometimes it's there because people are weird and 
uh, we're just determined to keep on doing it. But there's nothing, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing that is permanent necessarily about about News Hub. Or it could just go. It could go like that. Like the the owners could go. Actually, you know what? We won't do that anymore. We'll just be a. We, I mean, you know, Sky doesn't provide any news. Prime does a news that's delivered by News Hub. But there's there's no rule that thou shalt pro provide news. They could just stop doing it, which I think would be really problematic. I hope it doesn't happen. So there are all these things that you constantly feel you're on the precipice. Um, and uh, there are also lots of lights, you know, like I think some of the stuff we do is really good. Some, lots of the stuff at Newsroom, which is another startup does, is really good. There are lots of flickers, whether it's even just um, New Zealand Geographic, this incredible magazine that's made around the corner here is brilliant. You know, there are there are still, uh, you know, Metro does some great stuff. North and South does some great. There are lots of really terrific examples of journalism, and it's, so it's that, again I come back to that strange paradox, which doesn't answer your question at all. But there is that weird par paradox that at this time of what sometimes feels like apocalypse, you get um, a lot of amazing, vibrant stuff. Yeah, I'm curious to know what role you think the New Zealand government could or should play in this sort of current media environment. Should should they consider more regulation? Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of feel as though... I don't know, you know, like I... I think that, I mean, there is definitely an issue with TVNZ at the moment. I don't feel as strongly about this as, as, as Duncan does, for example. But um, at the moment, so they've, they've, they've said they won't be returning a dividend, which is fine because they've got pressures and that there's an argument about whether or not that's uh, appropriate because, of course, they're meant to operate in a, on a commercial basis. I miss the, what was it called, TVNZ7, which should have been developed a lot, but the main... Mothership of TVNZ presented it, pretended it didn't exist. I don't know exactly what the government's role is. It's been a real mess. I do think they need to work out a proper plan. There was, as you all know, there was a bit of a hiccup there with um, uh, Claire Curran's oversight of the uh, broadcasting and digital media portfolio, um, and for various reasons, that, and for for whatever, for good or bad, that set the whole thing back and now Chris Farfoy is the minister in charge and he's excellent but I don't think he wants to do anything too quickly. Again, I'm not answering your question. I mean, I think in, in terms of in terms of what we do, I think um, we do a lot of really good stuff but there's no sense in which we're necessi necessarily, we're never going to scale to the point of being mass media. I don't know, maybe we can in some way but I don't particularly want to personally. Um, and we're never going to replace the function of public service journalism. And so I do think there needs to, at the moment, to, 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 to rewind on that a little bit, at the moment New Zealand On Air, which is a terrific organisation, um, has been left uh, having to fill, plug some gaps in, in public interest journalism um, on television, and now it's starting to, to, to be the case online too. And so something needs to be done in an overall way that includes reinforcing RNZ, includes deciding what TVNZ's for, and includes actually kind of mandating, I think, New Zealand On Air or another organisation to create contestable funds for public interest journalism. Because, as I said before, it's just there's, there's just no, there's no reliable 
business model in, in a country this size to uh, send a team of journalists for six months on an investigation where you're not even sure they'll come up with anything, you know? It might even, it might even fall, f it's just, it's just, there's just no way you can do that unless you have some kind of support. So do you think like the this sort of environment and the consolidation and the increasing financialization of the media is that sort of threatening the New Zealand public sphere like the sort of state of democracy in New Zealand or not quite yet there yet I I mean I don't know I don't I don't I don't necessarily think I'd put it like that I mean around the world there's uh, there's definitely an issue about the public square and having uh, those debates um, laid out, but it's part of a bigger problem: the polarization of, of of politics around the world is in large part down to the kind of the way the fragmentation of media. And um, so I don't necessarily lay that the lay that at the doors of governments, though many of them have been slow to respond. Um, you know, the, it's, it, it just moves it moves so quickly and we have to, I mean, hold on to the things that are important, but at the same time, we the difficulty when you are trying to make policy around all those things is that if you make policy for now, by the time it's implemented, then it will be out of date and then it will be obsolete within a few years. So it's a very, very difficult and such a fast-moving area, a very difficult area to deal with. Cool, all right, let's um, wrap up this part of the um, evening there, but um, please stay, grab a drink, continue the conversation, um, but before we do that, can you join me in thanking Toby? To stay up to date with the latest cutting-edge research from Victoria University of Wellington, subscribe now through iTunes, Stitcher, or your favourite podcast provider. Thanks to Te Koki New Zealand School of Music alumni Kenyon Shanky and Stephen Patton for the use of their music. Victoria University of Wellington. Capital thinking, globally minded. <laughs>